Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Okay, welcome to Prayer Warriors Needed because prayer warriors are greatly needed. Tonight we're continuing with our study on the book of Job. Our topic tonight is understanding what is, what was that, well, the topic is turning the curse into a blessing. And um, we know that whatever curse is out here, that God's blessing overwhelms the curse. And that's why we come together to stay in prayer, particularly over the targeted individual program and to pray for the nation, uh, specifically our governance structures, to be under God's will and God's order. So uh, we recognize that we have principalities of wickedness in high places, and despite that, we recognize that God is all sovereign and that that curse of principalities and wicked places can be turned around to blessings. And we just thank God for the privilege of prayer, and we come together to just give God all the praise for allowing us to see a new year, for allowing us to grow in God, to develop a better understanding, to not be ignorant of the schemes of the devil. We thank God for the privilege of having a countermeasure and an effective countermeasure against wickedness in high places or else we don't know where we'd we be. We could be in our grave. We could be in the psychopath, in the psycho uh, institution, and it's only for God's grace and mercy that we are still standing because when you're dealing with these demonic forces, you better get some biblical understanding or else the devil will win. And we thank God for the, the privilege to learn about God's word. And we're, we're analyzing Job's life. And we have to understand that Job was a righteous man, and he suffered like many targeted individuals, but there were lessons in the suffering. So tonight, our topic is, what is captivity? How can captivity be refused? Then we the reason men fail. We're looking at justice in captivity. We're looking at captivity as a training period. We're looking at the double portion that Job received by by passing. Sometimes suffering is used to bring us to the next level to help us pass tests. If we don't pass the test, we can't get that double portion. And we have to understand also greater emptying before renewed infilling. Double anointing, double responsibility. Beauty for ashes. The end is what counts. The sovereign God controls all things. These are some of the topics. 
no deliverance until we change our speech. And then we'll take a look at where did righteous Job err? How did, what happened? What was the lesson? And how did he pass his test? And recognizing that Job's problem is our problem. Job's situation was recorded in the book that's around the world, the oldest book on the earth, the Bible. There's a reason that story's recorded. It's recorded for lessons, for us to have a better understanding. So let us try to become edified in God's word and uh, become better warriors so that we can pass our test and get our double portion. Okay, and um, with that, we'll be studying tonight, and I'll just open up with prayer, and then I'll ask my sister to pray, and we'll go right into what is captivity. God, we just thank you, Heavenly Father, for your grace and mercy. We thank you, God, for the privilege of prayer. We thank you, God, for all the praying people on this earth. We thank you, God, for praying targeted individuals. We thank you, God, that prayer can change things. We thank you, God, that you are the God of the impossible. No matter what the devil tries to tell us, we know that in your time, things are going to turn around. And we just give you all the praise and exalt your name, God, for just being there with us through thick and thin. And what the devil meant for bad, God, we thank you that you're using for good. We have your people on this phone. Had it not been for this sick program, we may not be together praying. So, God, we thank you that we can use a program like this, Heavenly Father, to exalt your name and magnify your name and, in essence, give the devil a black eye because this is just what he does not want God's people to do. He wanted us to be sitting somewhere with one eye open saying, how did this happen? He wanted us to be way far out, probably cross-sided somewhere, ready to kill somebody, drinking, drugs, alcohol, all kinds of things. But, God, we come together to give you honor and praise. And we thank you, Heavenly Father. We thank you, God, for coming through in every part of our lives, Heavenly Father. We thank you, God, for the land of the living. We thank you, God, for all you've done for uh, Anne, that she's standing tall, God, in the midst of all she's been through. We thank you, God, for our brother Mark, who's continually with us in prayer. And we thank you, God, for covering him with the blood of Jesus Christ, that no weapon formed against him shall prosper. We thank you, God, for Elizabeth, Heavenly Father, for her mother, for covering her, for her being able to help her mother, for covering her mother, and for covering her sister, God. God, you've showed us time and time again that you are all sovereign. Even with this wicked program, God, we're still standing. And, God, we give you the praise and glory. God, I bring before you, Heavenly Father, the situations each one of us are facing in 2017. And we bring it to you, Heavenly Father. We ask you, Heavenly Father, to lead, direct us to work every particular situation out. Heavenly Father, the word of God tells us no weapon before us can prosper. And we know that that does not mean that no weapon will come against us, but it will not prosper. So, God, we give you the praise in advance for breaking every weapon that's formed against us, every plot, every curse. We bind it, we rebuke it, and we send it to the pit of hell that it came from. And we declare and, declare and decree, Heavenly Father, that we'll be covered by the blood and that we will be able to live a righteous life, 
a healthy life and a prosperous life and prosperity in the means of exalting your name, that we will do great things in the kingdom of God, that we will help turn this earth back to the way you created it, Heavenly Father, that demons will tremble. We will bind up that curse. We will remove that curse where God's people tremble when demons get busy and that curse will be reversed where demons tremble when God's people get busy. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this lesson that we're going into. We thank you, God, for giving us Bible stories to learn from, Heavenly Father, to become the men and women that you created us to be, to help us pass these tests ahead of us, Heavenly Father. God, you know none of us are perfect, God, but we strive, Heavenly Father, to meet perfection in your eyes, Heavenly Father, so that we can be rewarded with the full blessing. We know that with every sacrifice, there's a blessing, Heavenly Father. So, God, we came in this world, very difficult world, a world full of temptations, a world full of things that keep us not in our natural order that you created us in. We ask you, God, to help us get back to that order that you created us in. Heavenly Father, we just give you the praise and the glory, and we thank you, God, for the privilege. And I ask you to bless the bloodlines, our children, our nieces, our nephews, that they will be the next generation carrying the sword of Jesus Christ across this earth. I call each and every one of our children blessed and highly favored, I ask you, God, for a special hedge of protection over my nephew, Elijah Scott, who's going through a lot. Heavenly Father, that you cover him and you bind every demon force that tries to tamper with his life. Send that demon back to the pit of hell. I ask you, God, to bless him, Scott, Heavenly Father, to cover him, let him finish his schooling and just watch over him and lead, direct him, God, to send them, Heavenly Father, in the kingdom of God, a nice home church to grow up to be the men you created them to be. Bless Amy's son in a very difficult situation, Heavenly Father. Keep him under the blood of Jesus Christ. Keep him growing in God, Heavenly Father. It's a horrific situation in there. Watch him, Heavenly Father, and get him out of there and let him be the man you created him to be. Bless my sister Anne and my sister Elizabeth and my brother Mark's children, God. Cover them with your blood, Heavenly Father, that they'll be protected, that no harm will come their way that the blood of Jesus Christ will be their hedge of protection and demons must flee and direct them, Heavenly Father, send godly people in their lives to help them fully mature to be the men and women you created them to be. God, we give you the praise. God, we give you the glory. We just thank you for all you've done, all you're going to do. We thank you, God, for our elders, Heavenly Father. We decree and declare we thank you, Heavenly Father, for uh, uh, the gift of longevity. We decree and declare that we will be beneficiaries of the gift of longevity and good health, Heavenly Father, that you will keep us in our right mind and that you will keep our elders in their right mind, that you will continue to bless them. Heavenly Father, bless Anne's mother from head to toe, Elizabeth's mother from head to toe, my mother from head to toe, Amy's mother from head to toe. God, we thank you for our elders. We thank you for our mothers. We just give you all the praise, Heavenly Father, that they're standing, and they're standing as soldiers in the army of the Lord, and that they've paved the way, Heavenly Father, to keep us under the blood, to keep us praying, to keep us knowing that this is the only way, Heavenly Father, that this earth is a temporary reign, is a temporary place, Heavenly Father, and that it is a much better place, and that you are preparing us for rulership over this earth. 
when our time comes to exit. God, watch over each and every one of them, Heavenly Father, and watch over each and every one of us. And let none of us leave this earth, Heavenly Father, before the time that you have for us to leave. Let us complete the destiny, the accomplishments that you have, the unique things you want each one of us to do, Heavenly Father. God, we give you the praise. We give you the glory, and we ask you to bless this blessing, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Anne, you want to pray? Yes. Yes. Father God in heaven, Father, I I really thank you, Father, for giving me the opportunity to be with my prayer warriors this evening, Father. Please continue to bless my dear sister Miriam and my dear sister Elizabeth and my sister Amy. And bless our mothers, Father. You carry them such a long, long way. We we pull up blessings. We pull up praise to you, Father, and, and, and beg you to please continue to bless us and carry us forth, Father, for you have done so, so many, many, many years. We feel so blessed to have you in our presence this evening, Father, as you continue to help us to forge on with our assignments and do the best job. We can't for you. We want you to be so proud of us and all that we do, Father. For we do it in your name and we do it with our faith, Father. Please continue to bless all of our families and help us get through all of these, these trials and tribulations and obstacles that may be in our path, path Father, and give us the strength to be able to deal with and the, the face up to Satan, whatever he throws at us, Father, I know you'll give us every bit of protection we need in order to forge ahead and keep working in your name, Father. Until our very last moment here on earth, Father, you help us and continue to assist us and give us all that we need to forge ahead. In your name, Father, forever and ever. Amen. Give me one second. Okay. After your message, either because you were not speaking or because of a bad connection, to disconnect. Disconnect. I was trying to leave a message. Somebody had tried to call me, but okay. All right. Thank you, Anne. Beautiful player there. All right. Tonight we're looking at what is captivity, particularly as it relates, again, to the story of Job. Let's take a look at this Bible study. Captivity is the term Scripture uses to describe trials. Mm, Interesting. Captivity is the term scripture used. It is a trial. Captivity is a period of confinement, darkness, bondage, and confusion in one's life. My God. Captivity is actually a spiritual prison. Mm. It is an adverse set of circumstances and situations that have hedged in. Being in Noah's Ark for a whole year was like being in a prison, yet it saved those who were in it. The purpose of captivity is to purge and cleanse. Most of all, God gives us a heart to know him while we're in captivity. Jeremiah 24, 5, 7. Captivity, therefore, is meant for our blessing. Wow. 
God commanded his people to submit to captivity, Jeremiah 27, 12. The message of Jeremiah to his generation was submit to captivity. The majority of God's people, including Jeremiah's fellow members, despised the message. Everyone wanted to hear a message on prosperity and peace. They wanted to hear what they were accepting. They wanted to hear that that they were acceptable to God as they were and that everything was going to be all right, even though this message created false hope. In captivity, we have to face ourselves honestly and look at the real issues in our lives. Many would rather evade this. Jeremiah 24, 5-7 tells us, the people were filled with vanity, idols, and pride. God purposed to send his people to Babylon into captivity to deliver them from these sins. To those God said, I will give you a heart to know me. Then God promised to bring them back home to normalcy. It is in captivity, difficult times, and foreign circumstances that God gives us a heart to know him. Job himself received a new heart in his captivity. How can captivity be refused? Captivity can be refused. When we fail the smaller tests, God cannot bring us to bigger ones. Jeremiah said, if thou hast run with the footmen and they have wearied thee, then how can thou contend with horses? Often people say, I want a heart like David's. I want to be a man after God's own heart. But it costs something to have a heart like David's. The heart to know God is given to us while we are in captivity. When God brings circumstances into our lives to bring transformation and change, many of us say, I hate this. I don't want any part of this. Hebrews 5 eight. There is something consider. Only a man with vision and promises from God has the strength to endure captivity. But vision and promises are granted only to committed people, committed to God. Therefore, uncommitted believers who only want to live on the perimeter of what God is doing, they fail to receive the understanding and strength that is required to bear up the fiery furnace. When Christians disdain and mock the deeper truths God offers, they are refusing the means by which they could go unto spiritual fullness. Truly, all believers are called to be kings and priests, Revelations 1.6. Yet, there are two warnings that underscore how believers may disqualify themselves from being kings and priests unto God. Commitment is important for going on with God. Commitment to God is proved by our commitment to man. If we're not faithful to man, it shows that we are not being faithful to God. Today it is common for believers to avoid being planted in a local church. This is not only unscriptural, it is dangerous. In removing himself from the authority and protection, a person becomes easy prey to the enemy and is far more susceptible to deception. 
to isolate oneself like this is a violation of Hebrews 10.25, 1 Thessalonians 5.12, and many other commands of Scripture. In addition to this, being unattached to a body of believers strengthens and glorifies glorifies us in Christ because an independent and self-centered spirit is produced. Loners do not allow anyone in their lives they don't want. They have no one to cross their will and no one who might confront them with real issues in their hearts. Loners enclose themselves and carefully protect their private lives from all intrusion. This is easy, independent path, but in closing themselves off from others, the opportunity to remedy the maladies of the heart is lost. Christian perfection and wholeness is not possible without being involved with others. John seventeen twenty three, Moab unchanged from his youth. Some men and women never change, and Jeremiah 48, 11 tells us the reason. They've never gone into captivity. Therefore, the same sins and habits, they have dominated them since youth. It continues. Moab has been at ease from his youth, and he had settled to his dregs and hath not been emptied from vessel to vessel. Neither had he gone into captivity. Therefore, his taste remained in him, and his scent is not changed. The Lord likens Moab to wine that is sitting undisturbed in a vessel. This wine has bitter-tasting dregs which have settled on the bottom of the vessel. In order for the wine to become sweet, it has to be poured from one vessel into another. Each time it is emptied from one vessel to another, more of the sediment is separated from the wine. Finally, after being poured many times, the wine is totally free of dregs. The implications of this illustration are applicable to each and every believer. We are like this wine. There are bad tasting elements in our lives that we have to, that have to be separated from us. The particular dregs in Moab were pride loftiness, arrogance, and wrath, Jeremiah 49. The process by which, which these drugs are removed from our lives is being emptied from vessel to vessel. This means being poured from one experience to another. When liquid is poured into a container, it, is, it automatically takes the form of the container. This represents the ability to be adaptable to any situation. Each time we are poured into a new experience, something of the old life is left behind. However, when people refuse to be poured and when they refuse captivity, the same offensive elements remain, such as anger, pride, and stubbornness. When a senior citizen has the same habits and sins of his youth still intact, you can be sure he has not been through captivity. Jeremiah himself learned to bear the yoke in his youth. Jeremiah had become his message. This is the reason he could preach about captivity with authority. The reason men fail, they have not been in captivity. Men and women often crash after God uses them. I believe that the greatest single reason for downfalls is faulty foundation. People have not passed through captivity in their personal lives. 
A deep work of grace and humility has not been wrought into their hearts. King Solomon never experienced captivity. He rose to prominence quickly, and he paid no price for the truth he preached. Did Solomon ever have painful delays? Did he ever deprive himself of anything? No. Ecclesiastes 2.10. Later in life, he had a tremendous collapse. King Saul never went into captivity either, and his end was dismal. The men in Scripture who really succeeded were those who submitted themselves to captivity. Moses was trained in the wilderness for many years, as were David, John the Baptist, Joseph, and the Apostle Paul. Captivity is a time of deep trouble. Everything seems to go wrong, and then the trial drags on for a long, long time. My God. During this time, we are deprived of many things that are dear to our hearts, but something is happening. Iron is entering our soul, Psalms 105, verse 18. It is in captivity that the greatest men and women are formed. This is where a heart to know God is developed. Joseph in captivity. Perhaps the life of Joseph best illustrates the truth of captivity. At the age of 17, God gave him a vision. In a dream, God revealed to Joseph his plan for his life. Shortly after the dream, he found himself in the pit. Then he was sold as a slave and brought into Egypt. Joseph was in exile in a foreign land. While in Egypt, again, he was betrayed, and he was thrust into a dungeon for about seven years. In Psalms 105, verse 18, 19, it says, He he was laid in iron until the time that he was repentant for the Lord's pride or testimony. In the original Hebrew, the syntax is opposite. Instead of saying that Joseph was put in iron, the literal rendering would say that iron was put in Joseph. While he was confined into the gun, the deer passed They were put on hold year after year. Life is But something was happening in his heart. Iron was entering his soul. The long delays and the painful denials were developing great strength and discipline in his soul. Finally, at the age of 30, he was released from his activity. God had performed a tremendous work in his heart during those years of activity. Then God was able to use Joseph to get the ordinary day. Hey, hey, Miriam. Yes? Hello, hey, Miriam. Yes? Hey, 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 uh, somehow I don't know what sound like a wind blowing or something. I can't hear nothing you're saying. Oh, boy. Okay. All right, let me try a different song. All right. Mm-hmm. Is this any better? Oh, yeah, I can hear you now. Yeah, because yeah. I could hardly hear you, too, Miriam. Oh, I'm hearing in the background, a little sound is very, very far away. Oh, wow. I wonder. Yeah, there is a heavy background. Let me try one more thing. I'm going to call. Um, all right, I'm going to have to mute because, yeah, I hear that thing is loud now. 
Well, you may have to you may have try to mute me again if you can. See if that helps. I'm, I'm no, because I'm this. This is the phone I sound much better. Than Let me get the home phone. Give me one second. One second. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I hear all that background noise. Let me see if I can call in. Yeah, that background noise. Give me a second. Seven, nine, five, three, eight. Yeah, that background noise is coming in strong. I'm gonna see if I can pull it like this. Thing. Oh, okay. Okay. Can you hear me? Okay, wonderful. Now everything is much quieter over here. Um, I don't know. I can't hear you guys. Oh, because you muted. So I'm okay. Okay. I'm on this line, but um. Can you hear me again? Yes, but I'm unmuted now. You have to mute me back. Okay, I think this is going to work. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you, but you're very low. Uh, Is the sound okay? Yeah, it sounds okay, but you're very low. I'm very low now? Yes, your volume is very low. Now I don't have no noise. Mark, can you hear me? Mark? Yeah, I can hear you. Am I coming in clear? Yeah. 
Okay. Anne, am I coming in clear? Yes, you're coming in clear. Okay, all right. So let me see if I can continue the reading. Okay, and if you don't hear me, um, Lisa, no, that background noise. I'll just have to keep both phones to my ear. If you don't hear me, try to say something, even though everybody's muted. Okay. So we're looking at the story of Job. We looked at um, this 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 uh, Bible study is teaching us what captivity is, and um, they went over. They said, "What is captivity?" Is term Scripture uses to describe trials. Captivity is a period of confinement, darkness, bondage, and confusion in one's life. Mm. Captivity is actually a spiritual prison. It is an adverse set of circumstances and situations that have hedged in. Okay. And the purpose of captivity is to purge and cleanse. Most of all, God gives us a heart to know him while we are in captivity. Captivity, therefore, is meant for our blessing. Wow. And they gave examples, too. They said, you know, men very powerful men who, who never went through captivity, never had a the hardness in their lives or whatever. They, they you know, see, they looked at, I think it was Paul and Saul, and, you know, they actually, uh, they fell. King Saul never went into captivity either, and his end was dismal. The men in Scripture who really succeeded were those who submitted themselves to captivity. Moses was trained in the wilderness for many years, as were David, John the Baptist, Joseph, and the Apostle Paul. Captivity is a time of deep trouble. I hope targeted individuals. I mean, I, I haven't found a better analogy. I haven't found a better explanation for this sick program than the Bible. Because <laughs> if you know God's in charge, then, you know, you're going to say, like, why are you allowing this? But it, it's done to purge and cleanse. And if we choose not to basically grow up, mature, then we're just making the lessons harder for us. So captivity is a time of deep trouble. Everything seems to go wrong, and then the trial drags on for a long, long time. During this time, we're deprived of many things that are dear to our hearts, but something is happening. Iron is entering our soul. Psalms 105:18. It is in captivity that the greatest men and women are formed. This is where a heart to know God is developed. Perhaps the life of Job, I mean the life of Joseph, best illustrates the truth of captivity. At the age of 17, God gave him a vision and a dream. God revealed to Joseph his plan for his life. Shortly after the dream, he found himself in a pit. Then he was sold as a slave and he was brought into Egypt. Joseph was ex- was an exile in a foreign land while in Egypt. Again, he was betrayed and he was thrust into a dungeon for about seven years. Psalms 105:18-19 tells us, whose feet they hurt with fetters, he was laid in iron. Until that until the time that his word came, the word of the Lord tried or tested him. 
In the original Hebrew, the syntax is opposite. Instead of saying that Joseph was put in iron, the literal rendering would say that iron was put in Joseph. While he was confined to a dungeon, the years passed slowly. Joseph was deprived of the things he had cherished. They were put on hold, year after year. Boy, mm. But something was happening in his heart. Iron was entering his soul. The long delays and the painful denials were developing great strength and discipline in his soul. Finally, at the age of 30, he was released from his captivity. God had performed a tremendous work in his heart during those years of captivity. Then God was able to use Joseph in extraordinary ways, and he was not ruined by success. Captivity, a time of captivity, the training period. If we would humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and allow him to do his work in our lives, then he would exalt us in due time, First Peter 5, 6. God could use us in extraordinary ways. The problem with so many is that they give up when difficulties go on for any length of time. Mm. Hebrews 10, 36. In Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 8, Paul exhorts, he warns the believers to endure the training period. Many are called, but few are chosen. Many Christians receive specific calls from God, but then they must be trained and tested in order to qualify for that call. Therefore, we have the training period of Hebrews 12, 5 to 8, and often it is very difficult it is a time of captivity. Yeah, I program is not a time of captivity. I don't know what it is. We are in God's choral, chorale, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto sons. My son, despise not, though the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourges every son whom he receives. If ye endure the chastening, God deals with you as as full-grown sons and daughters. For what son is he whom the Father does not chasten? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye illegitimate and not sons. Hebrews 12, 5, 8. Observe the following. The common reaction to the training period is to despise it. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. They're talking to us. <laughs> Do we not despise it? Oh. We we are exhorted to not do this. Bible class is coming to place. Because, I mean, if I wasn't reading this, this program here can make you cross-eyed. And we have to remember the devil wants you to be bitter, and God wants you to be better. Using this experience for a reason is to teach us something. Many faint when they are corrected and chastened by God, chastened by God. They give up. We must not do this. Many TIs have just, you know, they tell my, they don't even know how to spell atheist. They've been beat so bad they want to say they're atheist. They don't even want to believe in got to pray for them that God brings them back, that the Holy Spirit does something in their lives to make them become like, open their eyes and say, wait a minute, rethink that decision. 
All right, it is God's love that brings correction. He scourges every son he receives. He does not want to reproduce faults in others. Therefore, he's removing these faults before he multiplies us. Endure the chastening. If you get through the training period, you will receive the privileges of a full-grown son. This is the thought of a son who has been entrusted with his father's estate. If we reject the father's training and refuse his corrections and confinements, we are illegitimate. We will not bear his likeness. We will not resemble him or represent him. There are many in the ministry today who are illegitimate. They have their own name, their own cause, their own vision, and they are building their own kingdom to glorify themselves. These have, they have refused the training period, and they have taken a shortcut to their inheritance. Their end is usually not good. Mm. The double portion. Job 42.12, so the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than the beginning. This is the thing we have to remember about every trial, the end result. God rewarded Job with a double portion of everything he had lost. The double portion is the blessing of every firstborn child, Deuteronomy 21.15.17. In the church, there are some who are firstborn among their brethren. We will discuss this in greater detail at the end of the book. Greater emptying before a new infilling. In order to contain more of the Spirit of God, in order to contain more of the Spirit, God must first empty us of a lot of rubbish, 2 Timothy 2.20. Also, he desires to enlarge our capacity. Our vessels must be cleansed of anything that accuses, opposes, or resists our maker. Without knowing it, we have places in our hearts that still oppose and resist God. Also, we must never harbor resentment towards God for for taking more time than we thought he should. More time than he thought he should. Wow. Double anointing, double responsibility. Having a double portion of God's spirit is not a light thing. It means double responsibility. It takes time, growth, and maturity to be able to receive this anointing. God does not give an extra portion of his spirit without a purpose. God gives the double portion. It is to accomplish a difficult task. This involves greater responsibility, greater demands on our time and lifestyle, and much, much more. The double portion also requires a greater portion of humility, for which added power, there is added temptation to become proud and arrogant. It is unsavory when a preacher boasts that his church is the fastest-growing church in the country, when he brags of the success ministry and then denounces all other ministers. This is precisely what happens when a man's success grows and grows, but the correction, the maturity, the cleansing, the deeper cleansing of his own heart has been refused. Beauty for ashes. In Job 42, verses 13 to 15, it says he had also seven sons and three daughters. 
and in the land where no women found so fair as the daughters of Job. Their father gave them inheritance among their brethren. Here is another beautiful truth in the life of Job. Job received beauty for ashes. See Isaiah 61.3. Job had been brought down to ashes, but out of ashes came forth exceptional beauty. His daughters were the most beautiful in all the land. Job's seed had extraordinary beauty because of the special grace he received in his trial. It is a well-known fact that we produce like kind. Every victory we gain in our own personal lives is a victory for our children as well. Whether natural or spiritual children, it is easier to pass through the fire when we understand that the hardship is not only for our own perfecting, but for the sake of our children, for the sake of a people God will entrust to our care in the future. Ashes speak of death, but more particularly of death to self in the book of Job. When we have been brought to ashes, the beauty of Christ will be given to us. Job had become the finest gold during his time in the furnace. Many people are afraid to surrender their lives fully to God because they do not really believe in the resurrection. They do not really believe that God would revive them after the ambitions, the plans, and wishes have been brought to ashes. Let us put our lives into the hands of a faithful creator. Remember what he did for Job? Job received beauty for ashes. The end is what counts. Job 42, verse 16 to 17. After this lived Job 140 years, and he saw his sons, his sons' sons, even four generations. So Job died, being old and full or satisfied with days. Job's end was wonderful. And after all, it is the end that counts. How we started out is not important. And where we came from is not important. Where we finally end up is the real issue. It is the final score in the game of life that counts. During his trial, Job thought he would never be happy again and that he would go to an early grave. Instead, God gave. Instead, God had a double portion waiting for him and in another 140 fruitful years of life. Job emerged from his trial, and he had ten more children, and he lived long enough to see his great-grandchildren. God had caused everything to work in his favor. God turned every curse into a blessing for Job. Romans 8.28 must be a revelation to us. Not just a nice passage of scripture we commit to memory. Look at the first three words of verse 28, and we know. Do you see this? It has to be revelation to our hearts. And we know that all things are working together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. See Isaiah 54:17. Sooner or later, the Lord will vindicate every righteous servant of God. The sovereign God controls all things. Job 42.11 Then came there unto him all his brethren and all his sisters and all they had been of his 
acquaintance before, and did eat bread with him in his house, and they bemoaned him, and comforted him over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. Every man also gave him a piece of money, and every one an earring of gold. God made the day and night. God controls the seasons, and he can change the seasons of our lives any time he pleases. He can elevate us or choose to diminish us. See Samuel, 1 Samuel 2, 1. Whatever God does, he does well, and no man can say to him, what are you doing? In the case of Job, God changed his day into night and his season of prosperity into a time of want. But this was only for a season. The trial was necessary to accomplish something eternal in Job. Then God turned his captivity. God completely turned everything around for Job at the end. He even turned the hearts of all his former acquaintances back to him, and they comforted him over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. Was God responsible for his trial? Yes. God was the author. But better yet, he was also the finisher of it, Hebrews 12, 2. No deliverance until we change. Until we are still in Chapter 42, I would like to make one further closing comment, and that is the fact that God would not bring Job's trial to an end until Job changed. Job was sinning with his lips. And until he recognized it, he confessed it and repented of it. There was no turning of his captivity. Psalms 50:23 it says to him that ordereth his conversation aright, will I show the salvation or deliverance of God. It could be that God is not intervening in our situations or answering our prayers because of the conversations that go on in our home. God promises that he that orders his conversation aright will I show the deliverance of God. Is it well with your tongue? The use of our tongue will determine whether or not we find favor with God. Psalm 45.2 Where did righteous Job err? Review of the theme. God's testimony of Job was outstanding. There's none like him in the earth. Even when tragedy came, Job did not sin with his lips or charge God foolishly. However, as the trial lengthened into long months, he asserted that God was unfair and irresponsible. The following verses reveal what God was getting at in Job's heart and what he will deal with in our lives as well. Verse 917, Job's wrong words. He multiplied my wounds without cause. This was Job talking. Job's heart attitudes. Lord, you have no right to allow this. I have done nothing to deserve this. Job 922-23, Job's wrong words. He destroyeth the perfect and the wicked. He will laugh at the trial of the innocent. Job's heart attitude. He doesn't pay to be righteous. God treats the righteous and the wicked the same, and he enjoys seeing the innocent suffer. Job was real good. <laughs> That's a T.I. Job's wrong words. That thou turnest thy spirit against God and lettest 
such words go out of thy mouth, Job's heart and his attitude. Job rose up against the Lord with challenges. He blurted out everything he was feeling. Heareth me in his wrath, who hateth me? Mine enemy fastens on me, his piercing eyes. God hates me. God is hateful and wrathful, and he's taking it out on me. As God liveth, who hath taken away my justice? God has not dealt fairly with me. He's a perverter of justice. Because he justified himself rather than God. He finds fault with God, but none with himself. Behold, findeth occasion against me. He counters me for his enemy. God is against me, seeking grounds for alienation. As an enemy, Elihu warns Job, God is greater than man. Why do you strive against him? Job was challenging, criticizing, correcting, and contending with God. Job said, I am righteous, and God has taken away my justice. Job is lifting himself up. By doing so, he's putting God down. God will not do wickedly, neither will the Almighty pervert justice. Wilt thou condemn him who is most just? Job is saying God is irresponsible. I will say that right to the face of God. He was stressed. But he had to recognize his error. He thought he was perfect. Job in effect, thou sayest my righteousness is more than God. Here again Job finds no fault with himself, but he finds fault with God. Who can say to God, thou hast wrought iniquity? Job had been accusing God of committing wickedness. God speaks, who is he that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Job was dogmatic and arrogant on issues he knew little or nothing about. God continues, shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that correcteth God, let him answer it. Job was correcting God and teaching him, I know more than you, God. This is the way you should do it. Wilt thou also disannul my judgment? Wilt thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous? Job is saying, Job, will you set God straight? Do you know more than God? Will you be his counselor? Romans 11:34. Job's problem is our problem. Job's problem is man's problem. It is our problem. It is my problem. The truth concerning Job's struggle are found throughout God's work. Below are several other scriptures to further develop the subject. Isaiah 49, Woe to him that strives with his maker. Shall the clay say to him that fashioneth it, was maketh though, or the work he hath no hand? This is God's rebuke to man for criticizing him for the way he formed us. Many people do not like their looks. They would rather look like someone else. However, to criticize the design is to criticize the designer. God made us who we are for an important reason. Thus, we should thank him for it. God uses our physical imperfections to develop inward spiritual qualities and character. In Ezekiel 18.25, it says, Yet ye 
say the way of the Lord is not equal. Here now, O Israel, is not my way equal? Are your, are not your ways unequal? Here again is man striving with God. When people disagree with the scriptures, they are disagreeing with God and saying, God, I got this, I know this, God, I'm right, you are wrong. However, God never aligns himself with our thinking. We must line up to his thinking. Romans 11:34. who hath known the mind of the Lord or hath been his counselor? God needs no correction. Man should never try to instruct God. God is not the one who is mixed up. Man is. Let God be true and every man a liar. Romans 3, 4. Daniel 4, 1. This chapter records one of the greatest conversations of all time. Nebuchadnezzar had exalted himself before the very face of God. He commanded all worship to be directed to himself. God humiliated him for this, turning him into an animal for seven years. Afterwards, the king repented, came to his senses, and published an earth-shaking testimony throughout the empire. During his humiliation, he learned that none can say his hand or say to him, What art thou doing? The king learned his lesson well. No one can rise up, defy, challenge, or, or, or question God. Review of the theme, the theme of Job. Shall mortal man be more just than God? Shall a man be more pure in, than his maker? This revelation came to Eliphaz in a dream, and remarkably the dream was given by a spirit. Nevertheless, the night vision was true, and it is the theme of Job. The purpose of the book of Job is to teach man that God is infinitely just no matter what tragedy in life may come, and he cannot at any time be charged with error. Charging God with error or irresponsibility is sin. It is equivalent to disdaining the wisdom and love of God. Jehovah reserves the right to do whatever he desires in our lives. Psalms 135.6 Yet every action he takes towards man is saturated in wisdom, mercy, and love. The book of Job is the oldest book on earth. God has sought to convey Job's message to Adam's race for thousands of years. To charge God with irresponsibility and not caring is one of the greatest flaws in man. Therefore, it is not insignificant that Job is the oldest book on earth. Job's message has been necessary since the beginning of time. What we say to God and about God is all important. The generation that came out of Egypt never entered the land of promise. Israel closed God's heart by their evil attitudes and harsh words against him. In Numbers 14 through 3 and Deuteronomy 127, Caleb and Joshua were the only ones who knew how to win God's favor, saying, If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into his land and give it to us. A right confession is the key to winning God's favor. Grace is greater than any problem we face. Grace is the divine substance God imparts to us when we are in need, Hebrews 4.16. God's grace is equal to any injury that may ever come our way. As pressures and temptations increase, so does available grace increase. 
Therefore, there is no reason or excuse to become bitter. When a man or woman grows bitter, it is because available grace has been rejected constantly. Several years ago, Miss Audrey Bailey underwent her third open-heart surgery. After surgery in an extremely weakened condition and through the carelessness of one of the nurses, Miss Bailey fell to the floor, striking her head and breaking her nose. She said within herself, Lord, can I complain a little bit? The Lord answered kindly from Romans 13, 14. Audrey, make no provision for the flesh, the Lord went on to say. By your own choice, you can make this situation either an ordeal or an opportunity for my grace. The choice is yours. The Lord also said, my joy is your strength. Miss Bailey made her decision. She said, Lord, give me your grace, and God did abundantly. She came out of the operating room with her face glowing with the glory of God. If we choose to receive it, God's grace is able to sustain us and keep us sweet, even in the cruelest trial. However, we may choose to reject grace and harden our hearts instead. What will we decide? God offers us grace, divine enablement, divine perseverance that can equal and exceed any injuries that come into our lives. He promises, my grace is sufficient for thee, Second Corinthians 12, 9. Weakness means no retaliation and a holy acceptance of circumstances. Usually we relate meekness to our relationships with people, but in Scripture, meekness is related even more to our relationship with God. This is the reason we must never rise up in anger or retaliation against God, the one who allows our situation. We must demonstrate meekness towards God, it is obvious that Job had more to learn about meekness during his trial. Lambs are dumb before shearers, Isaiah 53:7. Jesus was meek towards his father. He was a willing lamb who surrendered his life when his father asked him. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief, Isaiah 53:10. The Lord Jesus knew it was the will of the Father for him to suffer shame and disgrace and then be rejected and slain. Always delighted to do his Father's will. He had no anger towards his Heavenly Father. Anger is the opposite of meekness. Excessive anger is symptomatic of unsurrendered rights. Choice is ours. To receive grace or to reject grace to receive an opportunity or to reject, an, or, or to receive an opportunity or an ordeal. It is uh, under grace we decide to become better or become bitter. We, be, we decide the trial is a stepping stone or a stumbling block. The same sun that melts wax hardens clay. Trials soften or harden our hearts, depending upon our response. When injuries come, we have the immediate decision of either hardening our hearts or asking God for grace to keep our hearts soft and sweet. By our own choosing, we make our difficult ordeals or opportunities, stumbling blocks or stepping stones. Adversity makes us better or bitter. Choice. Is 
purposes and benefits of adversity. And then I was looking at trouble from heaven's perspective. Suffering accomplishes the following. It destroys pride. It opens the door for new grace. It shows us what's in our heart. It makes us mellow and compassionate. It helps us cease from sinning. It makes us stable and uncompromising. It keeps us on course. It produces patience. It purifies our faith. Suffering sure does. If you don't have faith, you're not making it through. It identifies us with Christ's reproach. It gives us the ability to comfort others. It creates divine nature, gold, tried, and fire. It prepares us to reign with Christ. It brings us to full sonship. It causes us to enter the kingdom. It makes us mature. It makes us perfect. It brings us to a greater knowledge of and relationship with God and Christ. It brings us to glory. It makes truth come alive. It allows vicarious suffering. It allows us to suffer for others. Vicarious suffering is to suffer for others. The Lord has ordained all of our obstacles, enemies, and problems to work for us. All injustices, irritations, and sorrows are working vigorously on our behalf to produce within us all of the virtues we have just listed. Trouble is meant to be our servant. Just think of all the eternal qualities that would go unproduced if we had no troubles. There would be no appreciation. That's what would happen. Uh, Trouble destroys pride. Pride is possibly the greatest problem you or I face. According to Job 33, 16 to 20, God chastens his people with strong pain in order to hide pride from man. Pride hinders us from receiving grace, for grace is only given to the lowly. Therefore, it is divine love that leads us through difficulties to work out humility. Humility opens the door and conditions us to receive new grace and many other blessings. Proverbs 20:30. Suffering shows us what is in our hearts. Every man is right in his own eyes. Proverbs 21:2. Trials and difficulties provoke hidden evil motives and elements to rise to the surface in order that we may be convinced or see our problem as it really is. When God chooses to expose, it may seem humiliating and embarrassing, but it will be unto life, not unto death. uh, Troubles make us mellow and compassionate. Harshness, rashness, and a critical spirit are devoured in the fire of affliction. Personal failure and humiliation make us more gracious and merciful to others. There are times when it is healthy for us to suffer defeat and failure, Job said. God maketh my heart sore. Long periods of suffering and stress and difficulty also condition us to receive what we were not willing or able to receive before. When we see what God sees in us, we will be changed. Paul said, we are transformed by the renewing of our mind, Romans 12, 12. Suffering helps us cleanse seized from sinning. Suffering destroys our bent on our patterns of sin. 
He that has suffered in the flesh willingly ceases from sin. It does not matter how sincere we are, there are powerful bents in our nature that must be subdued, such as pride, arrogance, stubbornness, and anger. Suffering is often the means by which these bents are brought under control. Suffering makes us stable. After you have suffered a while, it makes you mature, stable, strengthen, settle you. 1 Peter 5.10 Suffering brings us to maturity. It makes us wake up. It makes us stable. It takes out the compromise. It brings another perspective. When we've paid a very high price for the truth, we will cherish it with all our hearts. We do not value those things for which we have paid no price. Suffering brings peace. God desires to deal with everything in our lives that is robbing us of peace. Resentment, pride, and other self-induced sorrows take away our peace. God judges these inner conflicts when we are passing through the fires of affliction. When the three Hebrews were in the fiery furnace, the Son of God was with them in the fire. The only thing that was burned was their bondages. All the fire did was devour the bondages. The purpose of fiery trials is to burn off our bondages, bondages without injuring us at all. After we have been chastened by God and these turmoils have been purged, there will be a high yield of the peaceable fruit of righteousness, as mentioned by Paul in Hebrews 12.11. Suffering keeps us from going astray. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Often God chastens, restrains us from going off course. Perhaps it was his rod that brought us back to the path. But another point is this. If you have an overwhelming problem or mountain in your life, the fastest way through it is by a tunnel. A tunnel is dark and lonely, even frightening, but it is the quickest way. It keeps you on course, too. God may, make, may take you through a tunnel experience. It is dark. You are moving in the right direction, and you are kept from bearing off. God may keep you confined for a while, but he is prohibiting you from turning to the right hand or the left. God has chosen the very best route for our lives. Therefore, let us thank him for his faithfulness. Suffering produces patience. Tribulation works patience. Romans 5.3, the word tribulation literally means pressure. Periods of tremendous pressure in our lives produce great patience. Job had experienced a great tribulation. He is known for patience. He receives in tribulation. In the last days, the great tribulation will produce a depth of patience in the saints. Tribulation will perfect God's church and prepare her to reign with Christ. Job typifies the suffering, glorified church. He is the millennium saint. Suffering purifies our faith. Our faith must be purified. 1 Peter 1, 7, James 1, 2, 3 clearly state that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found into praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Did I say something? Yeah. 
Peter learned early in life, our faith is mixed with presumption and emotions, even as impulsive, Peter learned earlier in life. Therefore, Peter had to pass through many purifying trials in his lifetime. At the end of his life, his faith was found unto praise, honor, and glory. Job said, he knoweth the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Everything we do must be of faith, must be born of faith, not out of impatience, hysteria, frustration, emotion, or our own ideas. All our words and actions must be born from true faith. Thus, our faith must be purified. Whatsoever is not born of faith is often sin. Romans 14:23. We learn obedience by the things we suffer. As a man, our Lord Jesus had to learn obedience or control by the things he suffered. We will be trained, equipped, disciplined, and prepared by that often shunned treasure called adversity. Wisdom also is learned through painful mistakes and failures. Sometimes we learn and absorb more from what we do wrong than what we do right. Meekness by suffering. Moses was the meekest man on earth. He spent 40 years in the wilderness being crushed and losing his identity. Meekness is the exact opposite of anger. A meek person bears chastisement and accepts his circumstances. An angry person will not. It requires many crushings for us to become meek. Meekness involves the surrender of our rights to God. When Christians have not surrendered their rights to God, they have anger problems all the time. Joy is a result of suffering. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Doing the will of God, which usually is not the popular or easy way, ultimately results in great joy. Suffering actually carves out a greater capacity for joy in our being. The apostles experienced great joy as they were humiliated for their testimony, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. We will have joy to the same degree that we suffer for Christ. People who have paid no price and have not suffered for Christ have very little joy. See Luke 6.21. Suffering identifies us with Christ. Suffering sets us apart as being his children. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. Jesus is not popular in the world system and even in some churches. He is the outside camp. This is where we will find him. Moses esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. If we are unwilling to be identified with Christ's reproach, we cannot partake of his glory. See Acts 5.41. Suffering gives us the ability to comfort others in the areas where God has consoled us. We will be able to comfort and understand others in situations. Empathy is needed, not sympathy. Empathy is intuition to know what another is feeling and thinking because we have passed through similar situations. Job's friends did not have empathy. 
their experience was not deep enough to understand and feel for Job. They had not suffered enough. Suffering creates divine nature. God's gold tried in the fire. Revelation 3.18, gold represents divine nature. We find gold comes from the fiery furnace. Fire and intense heat separate impurities and mixture from gold. Without this intense heat, the mixture remains. Thus, divine nature is costly. Paul said, our affliction worketh for us, 2 Corinthians 4.17. Affliction is actually creating for us an eternal weight of glory. Suffering prepares a person to reign with Christ. If we suffer with him, we will also reign with him, 2 Timothy 2.12. Suffering prepares the saint of God for a better resurrection. It is suiting him for his eternal position in the kingdom of heaven. Those who receive abundance of grace will reign with Christ. This grace is offered when we are in need. Thus, it is during times of stress when life-changing grace is poured unto us. Grace is a substance. It is something we receive when we are under pressure. God always gives us sufficient grace to equal our needs. If our need is great, this is an opportunity to receive a huge amount of grace. Suffering brings us unto full sonship. Read Hebrews 12, 5, 7. It is a serious mistake to despise the corrections and disciplines of God and give up. If we endure chastening, if we endure the trials, God will deal with us as full-grown sons and daughters, Hebrews 12:8. However, if correction is refused repeatedly, old problems and bondages such as wrath, pride, stubbornness will remain firmly intact. God will finally have to say, you are not my son or daughter. You do not resemble or represent me at all. You are nothing like me. This is God's definition of illegitimate. One who refuses correction or change so that he bears no resemblance or likeness of the Heavenly Father. Hebrews 12 We enter the kingdom through suffering. Through much tribulation, we enter the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is three things. Heaven itself, heaven brought down to earth, the millennium. Heaven brought into the hearts of men and inner reality. Paul says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Therefore, the kingdom of God is also a realm. It's a way of life, a higher dimension of living. The poor in spirit have this kingdom life, but this kingdom reality is entered by suffering. We enter the kingdom, righteousness, peace, and joy, by much tribulation. We are made perfect. We are made mature through suffering. The word perfect means mature. It means complete, entire, mature, fully equipped, and fit for the task. We are made mature through suffering. Jesus was made mature through much suffering. Hebrews 2.10, suffering prepares us for the task God has ordained for us to do. Mistakes, failures, delays, discipline, corrections, and chastening they all work together to prepare us for the work God has sent us to do. We come
come to know Jesus through suffering. Paul wanted to know Christ in every facet. One way he wanted to know him was through the fellowship of his sufferings, as he says in Philippians 3.10. We cannot appreciate Christ unless we've walked with him in the garden of Gethsemane. It is not possible to know God intimately if we want an easy life because God himself has known great suffering and sacrifice. A gospel of prosperity tends to produce spiritual infants rather than full-grown sons. The emphasis is placed upon having God to do something for me rather than having my life changed in order to bring pleasure to God and to do his will. Suffering brings us to glory. Our present distress is not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Glory is always preceded by suffering. Paul said that our affliction is working for us an eternal weight of glory. Suffering makes truth come alive. An understanding of the scriptures can only come as we drink deeply of the cup of pain and we experience our message. The truth must become a reality within us. Otherwise, authority and insight will be lacking. Light and life, as you remember, are God's rewards for those who have passed through miserable times. The truth of Scripture do not really belong to us until we've paid for them. Truth is expensive, Proverbs 23:23. Vicarious suffering. Vicarious suffering is suffering for others. This is another form of suffering. It is suffering to bring others into victory. Paul travailed in spirit to bring the Galatian believers into maturity. The Lord may allow you to feel the burdens and bondages of others while you are praying for them. Paul said he was suffering for the body of Christ to help bring her into maturity. Suffering can also release life for others. The weakness, finally, the weakness of the prosperity message. The prosperity message, although it has been a blessing in many ways, it has hindered Christian growth in the body of Christ for several reasons. The prosperity message has emphasized what God can do for me, the easiest way out of my problems. A quick answer, how can I become a success and how I can be someone? But it has not emphasized the changed life. It has not emphasized the denial of self in order to do God's will. The church has been fed milk in America and elsewhere, and this is the reason she is immature. The message of the cross is offensive to many, but observe the eternal qualities that go unproduced without it. Do not miss the main point in life, which is this. What are we taking into eternity with us? What has been done in my heart? What do we mean by suffering? What do we mean by suffering? Should we accept every difficulty as coming from the hand of God? No. In another sense, we should not. This is not the intention of studying the book of Job. Satan sends situations into our lives, and our enemy should be resisted with all of our strength. This course is not seeking to promote passivity towards Satan in the kingdom of darkness. We are in a real battle against real enemies. When we are sick, we should pray for healing. 
when we are in need, we should seek God for his provision. And we should war a spiritual warfare against the powers of darkness and people in the clutches of iniquity, Ephesians 6.10. On the other hand, God still has Satan around for a very important reason. God uses the enemy to test us, and he uses adversity to develop us and to get our attention. When a problem or attack of Satan comes into our lives, we should ask God if there's something in particular he is trying to say to us which we have not been able to hear. God allowed Satan to buffet Job for a season, but afterwards God gave Job the upper hand over Satan. When a man's ways please God, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Proverbs 16:7. God will give us the the advantage over Satan when issues are adjusted and put right in our lives. But God uses adversity and Satan to get our undivided attention. And boy, if you're a T.I., honey, if he didn't use this program to get your undivided attention, you're just hard-headed. That's all to it. God will avenge us of our enemy when our obedience and maturity is fulfilled. Stop there. Get a greeting. Any comments or questions? Did I put everybody to sleep? I didn't want. I enjoyed it. I don't know about anybody else. I, I, I look. I seek. I seek clarity and understand. I need to know how could this happen. Period. So I mean, I'm happy to have people I can pray with and, and, and share with. Oh, but I got you guys muted. I'm asking if there's any comments. I, I do this reading because, you know, I'm living this. So I need clarity, understanding. I know it's very hard to be told. I know God is in charge and yet you suffering. So I, I thank God that I at least have some type of uh, explanation to me, as soon as we find out what God is trying to tell us and clean up the stuff, this stuff is going to go away. Not go away, but we we have to pass the test. Anybody? Can you guys hear me? Hello? Hello? Hello. Funny goes. All right, all right. So what? A, you know, we went through a lot. We went through. You know, we went through. What do we mean by suffering? Um, we looked at every bad situation not from God, but God does use suffering and Satan to get our undivided attention to change some things in our lives. We looked at the purposes and benefits of adversity, how it destroys pride. It opens the door for new grace. It shows us, suffering shows us what's really in our heart. Suffering gives us a compassion. I mean, once you go through this pro, I mean, program, you know, you start looking at people very differently. 
you look at homeless people, you're like, oh, I wonder if that was a, 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 a you know, a lawyer, doctor, educator, because these people are plumber. These people can do whatever they want to whoever. I don't care what skills you have. The only thing we have is God's grace and mercy in our lives. Big program. And we learned that Job's problem is our problem, that that book was there for us to look at. We learned that the theme of Job was that he thought he was just, you know, he was he was questioning God. He thought he was more, he thought he knew more than God. Like, oh, what are you doing? I'm righteous. I'm, you know, and that was the test he had to pass. He had to pass. And, I mean, it's human to say, well, what's going on? I did everything right. But um, you have to know that, God is allowing this for a reason. Once we pass that test, you know, we, we get to that reason, we, we be, become the men and women he created us for, things are going to turn around. And I think particularly when you have, you know, your bloodline, your children involved, we have no choice but to walk righteously because we want our children to have a better life. So being disciplined, mature, and, and leading a righteous life is It'll, it pays off. So our children see that, too, and they analyze everything we do. Now, I got my nephews. I'm like, wow, everything they just analyze. We learned that the reason men have failed historically is because they were not, they, they didn't go through, a, you know, most men who, who did not, who failed, had an easy life. They didn't suffer. And um, they didn't have, you know, they just didn't have this, the wisdom, the maturity, the discipline. Um, Learn that some people, right, they, they still suffer and they still, captivity can be refused. They went through a test and they still refused to change. Most importantly, we looked at just, this PI program as captivity. Captivity is a period of confinement, darkness, bondage, and confusion in one's life. And that's what Job went through, and that's what targeted individuals go through. And we have to understand that God allows these situations, and each one of us has to stand in prayer that we, God can lead, direct us, and humble us to the point that we recognize what is what is it he's trying to tell us. How can we make a better life God's way and not our way? So with that being said, that was basically uh, reading from Turning the Curse into a Blessing, Paul G. Karam, Ph.D., and, um, yeah. TI program is a curse that will be turned into a blessing, and these I'm, I'm following I'm, I'm following the steps. The purpose of this uh, reading is coping with the stress of life, understanding the benefits of adversity, passing our tests in order to defeat Satan, and preparing ourselves to rule and reign with Christ. That's how you break a curse into a blessing. So I thank you, Heavenly Father, for this reading. I thank you, God, for the time that we had to to be able to analyze uh, this.
perform this captivity program. And I thank you, God, for offering us countermeasures come before you, God, humbly and with a willing heart to learn and, and ask for your assistance, God, pass each one of these tests that are in front of us. God, I give you the praise. I give you the glory. All right, guys, I don't know if it's because I'm muted or everybody nodded out. What is the 2.45 here? Guys, from joining me and learning with me because uh, this is surely, I, I'm looking for answers because, I, I mean, you can't tell me somebody's in charge and then, you know, i got to live like I feel, you know, the enemy is winning. So I don't want to feel that way and I thank God for, you know, knowing that God allows things like this to happen for specific reasons. And I'm proud to be uh, to know that the, we are the chosen people, that God has his hand on us. Average person's not going through this. There's a message for this. Sounds like somebody's still there. Hello? Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.